Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you so much for listening uh, wherever you are and on whatever platform you're listening to us on. As always, your support is greatly appreciated in sharing the podcast and all of the things you do to support our podcast. I'm so greatly appreciative, and thank you so much for all of that. So today's topic is one that is fundamental to any team's offensive success, and it's so important that it's worth dedicating its own episode to. So today we're going to be talking about passing and teaching effective passes and ways to get kids meaningful practice-like situations to improve their passing. So I think there's going to be a lot of good stuff in this one with passing being such a fundamental skill that our players need in order to be successful on the court. So my guest today to help discuss this topic is Coach Jordan Castaneda. Coach, how are you today? Good, Coach. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Ready ready to dive right into this. This, this should be a good one. So, Coach, let's go yeah, ahead yeah. And, and get started right with your uh, introduction. Let's talk about your basketball journey, your coaching journey. Where's the game taking you, and uh, where are you currently at right now? Uh started I think my my first word I ever said was ball so it started <laughs> from the jump um but I've been playing basketball my whole life you know played uh youth growing up got to high school uh played at Cypress High School my freshman year transferred over finished at Huntington Beach High School uh luckily enough my sophomore year I was able to commit to Montana State University um unfortunately I ended up having a spinal cord injury my senior year going in to Montana State so it kind of derailed the playing part. Um, they sent me to a, a prep school in Jackson, Mississippi to rehab. Kind of when I was there, it was when I realized the playing part wasn't ever going to come back for me. So came back home, got into coaching, coached my alma mater at Huntington Beach, coached a freshman team, I think, helped my, helped my dad out. Um, then I moved over to another school in this area, found Valley High School, coached there for about two, three years. Um, I moved over to the JV head coaching job at Long Beach Wilson, was there for about three years, and now I'm over at Orange High School by my first varsity head coaching job. I actually took over about two weeks before the season started last year, um, so I'll be heading into my, I like to joke, I'm heading into my second year as head coach with two weeks of practice under my belt especially <laughs> with everything going on now so uh, yeah you're you're certainly kind of thrown into the fire so to speak you're you're, you're really yeah. getting coming into a unique situation and sounds like you've uh, also had uh, quite a few uh, different journeys uh, throughout California there uh, on your coaching journey as well and I'm sure I've picked up things along the way at each stop and unique experiences at each stop as well oh so, yeah mo most definitely Let's let's kind of talk about that before we get into our topic. I know that you have um, experience that uh, includes coaching in more affluent areas as well as coaching in, in what we might call like more underserved areas. So I'm just yeah. curious with somebody, uh, as somebody with that sort of experience, what have, what have you found are, are similar in both of those areas? And then what are also some differences that, that you noticed with those experiences? Uh, similarities, I think. I've, at least from the schools that I've coached at, it's always been the kids are the kids have been motivated. You know, even even the kids from the affluent areas, they've been motivated and 
Uh, you know, I don't know if we've just been lucky enough to, to have those kids um, because I know that can not be the case sometimes. A lot of the times those kids can feel entitled and not want to work hard. And But luckily, both both all the situations I've been in, I've always had kids that are willing to work, you know, willing to put up with a, the style of coaching that we do, is which is it's very tough style of coaching. Um, but I would, I would say it just brings a, it brings a different set of problems when it comes parents-wise in, a, mm. in those situations. A lot of the times in the more affluent areas, it's kind of like, you know, the parents make the donation. They think their kid, that, that's, that's playing time for their kid. Where right. at other schools, I've had, I've had parents say, I, well, I, you know, I have no money. You know, and they, that's it. I'm going to drop my kid off, and that's it, and you guys can figure it out. Mm-hmm. And and those are the kids usually that, you know, the better players that work hard. Um, to me, I I don't mind both. You know, it's a lot easier to run a program with how I've learned about financials, and, you know, you can have every parent write a check, and it's not an issue, and, you know, your program just runs smoothly. When at other schools, we got to fundraise just to be able to play in tournaments. We got to fundraise just to be able to have practice uniforms. Um, and, and that's tough, especially mm-hmm. when it's really just on the kids in those, in those underserved areas. It's not really, you know, a lot of them don't have as much parent involvement. So the kids are really out there doing the groundwork themselves. I've had kids go door to door for a fundraiser in some areas. And then there's some schools, it's, we don't even have a fundraiser. So everyone writes an $800 check and here you go. Now we're set for the season. <laughs> right. So, I, I mean, I, I, prefer, I prefer I prefer coaching in the underserved areas, honestly, just because, you know, that's something that you can kind of build them on and kind of build a chip on their shoulder. Kind of, you know, everyone over, everyone's overlooking you guys. No one expects nothing from you. So use that as motivation. And for me, I've had success with that. Um, it's kind of – it's a different kind of motivation rather than, you know, someone that got it all already. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that one of the the things that is is difficult sometimes for for coaches, and I know even I've had this experience too, is when I, I coach in an environment that was different than the one that I grew up in, and so some yeah. of the things that like I, you know, thought were normal, and I'm like, oh, this is just how things are going to go, and then you move into a different area or go to like a different program, and it's like, oh wait, I got I got to do things completely different. Like this isn't normal <laughs> to you guys at all, and so, um, but like like you said, I think that to an extent, like kids are kids and then they'll, they'll want to work hard and, and, and hopefully they'll, they'll buy into the program and, and, and they'll be willing to work. And then like you kind of mentioned, I think with the um, community aspect, you know, there, there might be a lot more work that you might have to do in, in those, those underserved areas. But then at the same time, you might get a different sort of like reward out of that. There might be a different feeling you get out of that. If you, if you're putting in all that work, like you said, of like fundraising and um, you know, that instilling kind of that like underdog mentality and really building kids up in that way. I think that there's just unique opportunities in both, but uh, I definitely agree with you in that, you know, working in an area where you don't have to fundraise and you don't have to worry, worry about money in that sense like that, that can definitely uh, relieve you of a couple headaches as well. So yeah, yeah, um, most definitely for sure. And, but, but, but yeah, really, uh, I think as, as you kind of alluded to, it's like kind of like kids are kids and, and, and once they get to that gym, you know, it's, it's sort of like it's just game on <laughs> and then, and then yeah, you just yeah. sort of work with them. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and, and for the most part, you know, in high school, it's mostly just the parents anyways. It's, you know, it's usually not really the kids who are giving you the headaches. So it, most of the time, it's really just kind of setting the tone with the parents early in both areas, you know, and 
and just kind of letting them know expectations, letting them, you know, I always have a parent meeting being the year say, hey, we're not – you don't discuss playing time with any coaches, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and that doesn't really always end up working. <laughs> you know, you got some parents every year that don't have something to say, but, you know, it's – most for the most part, it's never really the kids. You know, you have parents that are unhappy, then you go and ask the kid, and the kid's having the time of his life. The kid's mm-hmm. kid didn't even know, oh, I'm not even upset about my playing time. I don't know why my dad's talking to you. So – it's mostly yeah. just the parents from my experience. I've never really experienced a kid having any issues with the kid's attitude when it comes to playing time, nothing like that. So mostly just been parents. Right. And and just to kind of kind of wrap that thought up, I think that is something good to just sort of keep in mind is that the interactions that like a coach may have with, with their parents and the things that maybe the parents are, are saying uh, to that coach, that, that might not necessarily be what the kid is thinking or what's going through their head is all or their head at all. So definitely worth having a conversation with, with, with the player too and, and figuring out where, where they're at with everything because sometimes there is that disconnect because teenagers, uh, as we all know, aren't exactly the, the most open with conversations with their parents yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely important to make sure you have a conversation with, with both. So that, yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of jump into uh, the, this topic today of just kind of talking about passing and, and, and just teaching effective passing and, and making sure that the passing is good um, within uh, your team. And so I know it's kind of a broad topic, so we'll break it break it down here into a few questions. So let's talk about, uh, in terms of your team, about what is the importance in passing and what your team is running and what are some of those musts or non-negotiables when it comes to how the passing works within uh, what you guys run? Um, passing is very, very important. Um, I, I, I was a pass-first point guard. Uh, growing up I was you know that's what they recruited me as in college and so to me it's always been like great passing is like oh that's the greatest thing to me so for my guys we we run a lot of transition we want to play fast so you know it starts for us it starts with transition passing it starts with front the ball and you know now if that front is not a good pass you know that's a missed opportunity because now the flow is gone and the same thing goes in the half court it's you know, if we're, not, if we're not making good passes, hitting guys in their targets, in their hands, then the flow is gone. So I like to stress that every pass is just as important, you know, as, as, a, as the next one. So, you know, that swing pass, got to hit the guy in his hands. That extra pass, got to hit this guy in his hands, hit him in his target. Um, we always say step into every pass, look the wrist, look up. Um, but for us, it's, it's really just about the flow of the offense. Um, we rely a lot on our, our ball movement. We rely a lot on getting to the rim and, you know, getting to the paint, kicking. And we like to, we like to stress that, hey, that on, on defense, you know, a deflection to us is we disrupted the flow of the other team's offense. But in our case, when we have the ball on offense, that's just as good as the other team getting a deflection if, if you throw a bad pass. Mm-hmm. Um, now the defense recovers. Now you don't have as good of a look. So – we like to, we like to just really. I think in every drill we run, it's there's for the most part there's some sort of passing element to it, whether it be some transition offense, whether it be, you know, just just some half court ball handling stuff. We'll do it with a partner and have them throw passes back and forth in between their their dribbling, and it, it, it's just to me, it's probably the the biggest part in our offense next to scoring. Obviously, that's I think that'd be the next best the next biggest thing Mm -hmm. to us 
And you talked about you yourself kind of being like a, a past for a pass first point guard. And is that some uh, is that something that you also uh, try to instill and have within your team? Do you want your point guard to have that mentality of being a pass first type of player? Oh yeah, 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 definitely. I I, I have a, I have a point guard right now who's you know he before I got there they came from a system they were running the flex um, you know kind of just methodical you know, doing this and, and he, he was, can't play for a coach that, you know, he messed up. He's getting yelled at, getting taken out the game. So this whole past year has been kind of like, Hey, this, the ball's in your hands. It's your show. You got to get everyone involved. And I think that's been the biggest thing for him is just me building that confidence in him to say, Hey, you got, you know, you're going to mess up, but the ball's still going to be in your hands. You know, you got to just move on to the next play. Um, and he's starting to get there. Um, this COVID stuff kind of set it back a little bit, so mm. we got, we're going to have to see how it goes when we get back on the court. Yeah. But he, before it all started, he was starting to make strides, and it's just for for my point cards, it's always about hey, you you have to be the one in charge of getting everyone involved. You have to be the one in charge of knowing guys' spots, because in, in our offense, it's usually always going to come back to the point guard. Mm. Um, we we play four guards, so there might be three point guards on the floor at one time for us. So luckily, we we have playmakers that. You know, everyone can kind of create for each other or create for themselves. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, I always put it on my starting point guard today. You have to be the one that's communicating. You have to be the one making sure everyone's getting their shots. You got to be the one running the show and kind of orchestrating things on offense for us. And, and I think that what that probably does is, is probably helps that point guard really feel like they have a lot of control or a lot of like power in, in what's going on. Like they're kind of at yeah, the command yeah. center, so to speak, because yeah. I mean, as we all know that, you know, some, some point guards, if they hear that, they might be worried like, Oh, well, I'm, if I'm just passing all the time, like when am I going to get my opportunity to, you know, do what I need to do. But, but as you mentioned as well, that you also have, you know, guards who have the ability to make things for themselves as well but that they should be, you know, looking and seeing the floor and, and, and making sure that they're, um, you know, see, seeing everything that's happening. And so with that, is that a skill that you find that uh, the, ki the kids coming up, they, they have that skill about how to, you know, even pass the ball correctly? Are there things that you find yourself having to like correct right away because I'm assuming your perspective is a little different because as a point guard and which you were and as somebody who's past first point guard mentality there might be some things that you recognize right away that maybe others don't so I'm just curious about what you see when when guards start coming into to your program in terms of their passing um I think a lot of it is just basic you know fundamental stuff you know I feel like if you I, I was lucky enough to you know my youth coach growing up um, his name is Tony Marcus. He's he's been a high school coach for like forty plus years out here. Him, he, he's like a father figure to me. Um, he had us running like the Princeton offense when we were in like first grade. <laughs> so they were like breaking it down for us big time when we were young. So they were fundamentals. So you know there was things that I learned in second grade that I have kids who are sophomores that never even heard of. You know, stepping into a pass, um, fake a pass, make a pass. I have you know I have kids that. Just those basic things that to me is, you know, I, I don't even need to teach that. I thought everyone just, you know, you think everyone just knows that when you grow up learning that at such a young age. I, it's, yeah. it's just, it really comes down to just basic fundamentals. Um, knowing a passing angle to a, a, a post-entry pass. Um, knowing when to ball fake. You know, knowing, knowing how to throw a backdoor pass. Just, just really, really basic things and that's really what passing is really just about the base you know it's really a basic fundamental 
part of the game. It's not really, you know, once you get to that next level as a point guard, you can kind of get into the flashy areas of it, the no looks, the, you know, misdirection type stuff. But in general, it's really just a basic fundamental. And for me, I think the biggest problem I've seen in my program when I inherited it was, you know, just basic stepping into a pass or knowing which pass to make. I, I, I had kids trying to make a skip pass with a chest pass through, through the zone. And it's, you know, it's to you, you're thinking in your head, like, how do you even think that's right? But then you got to step back and, and think about, okay, well, what, how, how have they been coached before? What have they been taught before me? And stuff that's just second nature to me is brand new to them. So, so I just want to I just want to touch on that because I'm re- I was really really curious about that point you made about the the, the chess pass as, as a skip pass. Uh, I, I guess from your perspective, do you think that your players like their mentality is like I just got to I just got to get the ball like over there like no matter what way or however I get it over there I just got to make sure I get the I get the ball to them and yeah. like, that's what their priority is and not necessarily like the what type of pass and stepping into it you yeah find that that's what yeah. you're seeing yeah I think it's, it's a, it was a lot of that at first and it was a lot of you know there was a lot of them not really considering what the defense is going to be doing it's kind of just you know like it's five on oh and the ball they're just going to let the ball through because you want it to get there rather than reading the defense and seeing, okay, what do I got to do here? You know, and especially especially in our league, passing has been so important because in our league, every single team runs 2-3 zone. Mm. We're the only team that doesn't play zone. So yeah, it's like that. Then, especially, yeah, it's like that's the most important thing for us is just, you know, hitting the high post, looking opposite, getting the skips. But I think I want to say our first, our first league game this past year, we – had zero points at the end of the first quarter. We had 13 turnovers, all unforced off passes. And it was it was brutal. And, you know, we broke it down for them. We said, hey, was, you know, they're not doing it to us. We're doing it to ourselves. You know, you short up the passing. You make better passes. Game will change. And I think we ended up losing the game by one. But to come to come back 20-0, I think we ended up losing like 80 to 70, 79, something like that. And I said, you, you eliminate that one period from, you know, making all those bad passes. It's a whole different ball game. Right. So I think that was a great, great game for us to kind of stress the importance of passing and, the, you know, how, how important it is to our offense and to, you know, our overall, our overall goal of winning games. Right. And, and from what, what you remember of that situation, were they the, the same type of passes that were being forced? Was it all over the place? I'm curious because if uh, where those, those, those errors are, are, are being made or, or what you've seen in terms of like the same mistakes, if they were the same mistakes or were they different mistakes that were being made in that situation? Uh, that game, it was, that game was, it was kind of, you know, it's the same thing. It wasn't really, it was passes, you know, it's going four feet over a guy's head or it's, going at his feet it's just it was, you know it was just terribly placed passes and I, I don't know if it was pressure because the first league game you know is these guys I had a very very young team this year I started four sophomores and a freshman I don't know if they're you know just the nerves got to them you know the league games is a little different than tournaments and, and singles so sure the pressure might have got to them but it was a lot of just unforced bad you know bad plays like I said we we did to ourselves that and that was I think the most frustrating part was that you know, it's not – they're not pressuring us. They're not forcing us into these turnovers. It's just terrible, terrible passes. And, uh, you know, they were able to shore it up. And I think – to me, I think it was just a nerve thing. But it right. was – yeah. Well, I – I think that that kind of leads into, uh, you know, a thought that I, I was having in terms of like 
passing and teaching effective passing and that the passes that they do in practice almost need to have some sort of like competitive or some sort of situation to them where they, they almost like feel like a, a little bit, I'll say nervous is the right word, but they feel that like competitiveness to where like it's important that this pass gets made correctly because like you mentioned in that first, you know, whether it's that first league game or whatever the case may be, you know, that that lazier pass that they may have done in practice just to kind of go through the motions like that, that's not going to be the type of pass that they're going to be making, you know, during a game. And so with that, when you're going through your practices and implementing your practices in terms of passing specifically, how like game-like are the situations in which you are, um, whether it's practice passing or going over passing, I guess how game-like are those situations and how competitive are they? Um, I mean, right now, it's, well, right now we can't do it. Typically, yeah, right now, I suppose. <laughs> it's, and it was funny when, when you know, I, you wanted to you reach out to me for this podcast, I was thinking in my head, I was like, man, I don't, I don't even remember what passing drills are like anymore. It's, <laughs> It's been so long since we've been able to share a ball with each other. Uh, no. You know, I don't, I, I forgot what we used to do, but uh, <laughs> no, it's a, uh, for us, it's always a lot of our conditioning and a lot of, a lot of our, you know, um, up and down stuff. It's just all scrimmaging five on five or four on four. And we like to stress just the passing within our offense. Um, so it's always, Hands got to be ready. You always got to give, you know, whoever's passing the ball, you got to have a target. Um, if you don't call for the ball, you don't pass the guy the ball. Uh, I, that's at least what we stress in practice is um, it's always meeting the ball. You know, we, we play a four out, so guard to guard, you always got to shorten the pass up. Uh, we stress that a lot. We stress getting open on the wing, giving your man a target, hitting the target. Um, and for the most part, we used to do it a lot with, it's always live kind of situation. So we like to do a lot of competitive stuff and it's usually the defense is kind of what gets you scoring. We don't really ever have any situations where, okay, you score, you get a point. It's usually, okay, you get a stop, you get a point. So for the offense, it's okay. Let's not turn the ball over. So how can we not turn the ball over and not get, give this team a point? So for the, for the passing, it's really, um, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's really important. We, we, we like to stress it a lot just kind of in live situations in game. We don't really have like many drills where it's like, okay, you know, you can, we start off, we start off practice passing back and forth. We used to starting passing the ball back and forth, you know, going over bounce pass, one hand bounce pass, one hand chest pass, overhead pass. But competitively it's usually kind of just in the flow of our five on five stuff or our four on four stuff and kind of just stressing those game situations where it's okay. You can have a guy riding riding your, your jersey. How are you gonna get open and how are you gonna give your man a target for a pass? And like on the other side of it, how are you gonna hit that guy? You know, I like to tell our guys, you know, you're not gonna throw it to the spot that they're at, you're gonna throw it to the spot that they're gonna be at. Mm-hmm. Cause if you throw it to the spot where they're at, that's you know, that's going the other way. So I think that was for this program that I'm with now, that was kind of another adjustment that they had to make and kind of get used to was like, okay, well, I got his hands here now. But the defenders on him, I'm not, I'm not going to throw it to his hand. I'm going to throw it a step out where he's going to be, where he's going to meet the ball. So just kind of stressing that on them. And, and so one of the things that, that I think it, it seems to be really important to you because of the fact that you do a lot of work in transition is that you want to make sure that, you know, like stationary passes aren't really going to be applicable to what you're trying to do. 
like in a game because if you're trying yeah. to get out trying to get out and transition like you said you're hitting the man in stride you're trying to you know get that outlet pass and get going down the floor and so you know i think for 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 teams who you know, really want to kind of shore up their passing and really want to, you know, get better or have their team get better at passing. It's almost like you have to think of like, well, where do, where do we need these passes coming in? Are we doing transition? Do we need to make sure that we're um, getting work in, in practicing out in transition? Like where are our players passing the ball the most? And I think that that seems yeah. to be something that is important for you to be aware of so that the practice kind of directly translates right to the game. Yeah, no, exactly. We, we, our our kind of rule is, you know, they know they got the they got the seven or seven seconds or less kind of offense. Well, I tell them five seconds. You know, first shot we get, it's taking it. And I tell you know, I tell them I'm gonna be the first coach to ever take you out for not shooting the ball. You know, to, so to us, it's front the ball. So I guess the most important pass for us is that front. Um, that front kind of determines how the possession is gonna go. If it's a good front and, and our wings are running hard, then okay, he can make a play in the open court and get something going from there. If that front it's not so great. Those are behind them. That kind of disrupts the flow, and now we got to get in the half court. So, for for us, it's really a lot, it is a lot of transition passing. You know, knowing different reads, and and what well, falls again on my point guard. You know, he's kind of the orchestrator. You know, he has to read the floor. He kind of has to. You know, it it all starts there. And his 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 job is to me, it's it's the most important because he's me on the floor. He's the coach on the floor. So there's stuff that I'm going to see that I expect him to see the same thing once he catches that outlet, and it got to be a quick decision. You know, it has to be a very, very quick decision on what you're going to do, and then we get in, we go, and then when we get in the half court, and I stress also a quick decision. I tell you, you know, you have one second to decide what you're going to do. If you're going to pass, shoot, dribble. Mm-hmm. If you're on the ball for more than one second, you know, you're holding it too long. And that, you know, that, that comes back to their passing as well because, you know, some of these guys, when I told them that, it's panic. It's, oh, I had the ball for a second. Let me get rid of it. But, you know, they're not making a good pass. They just yeah. get off the ball just to get off the ball. So that was, that was another adjustment that we kind of had to make and kind of get them on. It's like, hey, you know, slow the game down in your head. You know, once you can start kind of seeing the floor and, and making decisions, those things are going to come to you. Um, it's going to be a lot easier. But, you know, the the – the quality of the play you're going to do can't come down just because you're in a rush. You know, you got to be able to play fast, but you also have to be able to play the right way. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes down to, like like you mentioned about being able to like see the floor, kind of like your, your vision and being able to see everything and that, you know, you certainly don't want to just make a pass for the sake of making a pass because it was just one second, but kind of building on like, okay, we got to, you know, see the whole floor and see what, what's going on. And, And I feel like, your philosophy and you can correct me if I'm wrong but that like action over inaction and that like trying to do something and trying to make something even if it ends up being a mistake sounds like to me like it's better than inaction or being hesitant to do something am I right in thinking that yes yes yeah I like to say everyone got the green light that's what I tell them at the beginning of the year I said it's the only team you're ever going to play on where one through 15 you all got the green light you know (laughs) So yeah. I say, I tell them, take advantage now. And and what happens is usually it kind of, you know, in, in our offense, we run a four out. We don't really run many plays. It's, most of our plays are kind of just quick hitters for a look. But so what, what kind of, you know, generally happens is it's kind of like you're playing pickup. And when you're playing pickup, you usually kind of, the ball always ends up in the best player's hands, right? So it's kind of like the same thing within our offense is, you know, I'm telling everyone you got the green light, you know, that's building their confidence up, you know, and, you know, to me, it's like I want everyone to have that confidence. But at the end of the day, 
just within the flow of our offense, the way we play, because we're not running plays, because we're not running a set motion, the ball for the most part usually ends up in the better player's hands at the end of the possession. So I've yeah. always kind of just stressed, like, hey, you know, why, why am I going to tell this guy, don't ever shoot? You know, why am I going to tell him that? Because he, if he's ever in a situation where, you know, end of the game, it ends up in his hands there, he's going to have no confidence to shoot and shoot everything. You know, that's a great shot. Every shot is a great shot for everyone. You know, that's, that's what I like to say. All these shots are good shots for all of you. Because at right. the end of the day, I know within the flow of everything, it's going to end up in our best player's hands or one of our better player's hands, kind of regardless anyways. Yeah, no, 100%, 100% agree with that. And, and I think that one of the things that um, I, might be concerning, and so I, I want to touch on that, because I know this is a lot of, I don't know if fear is the right word, but it's something that a lot of coaches are aware of in, in sort of that, you know, four out or maybe like a more loosely defined offense is the worry about the ball sticking and the over dribbling versus like actually getting the ball moving and, and passing the ball around. Is that something that you've had to contend with or not with, with too much dribbling or too much, you know, isolation work versus moving the ball around? Or is that something that you've kind of been able to, to get away from and not have your players be doing? Um, I, I've kind of, I think for me, it was kind of a blessing to kind of inherit them when they've kind of, got we're, we're just used to running the flex because you know in the flex is kind of just catch wait for the spot and it's not much dribbling so they're already kind of used to not you know they're, they're not doing isolation anyways so when I introduced the four out to them it's brand new and they, they just kind of got thrown into it um it was it, it wasn't that hard for me to be like okay listen it's going to be all passing 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 and the opportunity we're going to get to score you should it should be two dribbles and you're getting your basket so it, for us, we always, whenever we do live situations in practice, it's always you have two dribbles or less anyways. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like helped. And those, you know, those guys that create this, for the most part, I, I've always said in basketball, you know, guys that can get a bucket, they can get a bucket, two dribbles or less. You know, if you, if you can't get a bucket, two dribbles or less, you're not really a bucket getter in my eyes. So right. that, you know, it's, and it's kind of for this group that I have right now, they've really bought into it. And it's kind of, you know, that's, that hasn't been an issue at all. I've, I've now I've had teams where, you know, there's one guy who's, you know, head and shoulders above the other guys, and he just, okay, I'm not passing the ball, you know. And, <laughs> he's, and he's giving you 35 a game, and it's like, all right, what am I going to tell him? But, you know, you got you to gotta have everyone involved. And with this group I have now, they've done a great job of just buying in. And we really – we have no guys that are selfish. We have no guys that, you know, they're, they're out to – just get baskets for themselves because, you know, every team, you know, some teams, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of teams have that guy, you know, oh, I'm, I'm just worried about my points. I'm worried about this. For us, I tell my guys, hey, the way we play, there's going to be five of you that, that might score 25 points a game or more at some point during the season, just, just be based off how our offense works. So, you know, it'll come to you, but the ball can't stick, ball can't move, and, you know, you dribble more than two times in practice, well, that's a turnover. You know, you can't – That to me, that's worse than the ball sticking is over dribbling. I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather have you hold the ball and get a five-second count and dribble the ball for 10 seconds and go nowhere with it. And I think that 
I know that some some coaches are you know they're concerned about is is you know players and if they're working with you know certain individuals they're watching you know videos on on YouTube or whatever and there's all these like different types of dribbling moves and you know they're doing all these sort yeah. of you know dribbling action dribbling moves and then you know as a coach you're like well you'll probably never ever do this in a game and so you know can can you yeah. step in and make a you know a chest pass like can you do that as well oh and yeah so, that's like the especially out here out here there's so many of these skills trainers and stuff like that you know and it's like you guys are teaching you got the every kid got the the euro step package but you can't do a left hand layup you know it's like simple things like that and and that's why i, I like to stress on my guys you know fundamental stuff you know you're gonna get your basket you're gonna catch rip through you're gonna have to dip your shoulder and get in the guy and, and get to the basket or you're gonna have to make a make a shot but all that all the extra stuff you know that to me, I tell them, you can use that in transition. You catch the ball on the front, and you know it's it's a one-on-one -on -one in transition with you and your guy. That's that's when you pull those moves out. But 90, 95% of the game, you're not going to use that. And that's that, yeah, that's that's definitely been a, a struggle I've had with players in the past is that, well, my trainer told me this, my trainer taught me this. And I said, well, when are you ever going to get in that situation? The only time you'd be in that situation is if I let you dribble the ball for 20 seconds out of the shot clock, and that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think that there's definitely a, a lot of value, and I, and I, I do have uh, an interview there uh, with, with a skills trainer in, in the catalog as well. And there's definitely value, and I think it's kind of like with a skills trainer, anything where you know you're putting money into it, whether it's you know it's AAU or, or skills trainer, it's just just know what you're getting, like know who the person is, kind of kind of do your that, research and do your homework. <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of the times. You know, I used to train kids when I first started coaching when I was in my earlier 20s. Um, and a lot of the times it's really just the parents don't know. You know, the parents, if the parents didn't play or, you know, the, you know, someone around them didn't play, they don't, they don't know. They don't mm -hmm. know what they're supposed to expect from a skills trainer, you know. So it's a lot of the times, and that's, you know, just the same thing for club teams. A lot of the times those club teams is just, they, you know, parents don't know what to expect. So they just say, okay, here's my money. And, and that's when that usually, that disconnect comes between, the parent and the high school coach could say, oh, well, the trainer's telling me my son should be on varsity. And, but, you know, that, that trainer's, you know, of course they're going to tell you what they want to hear. You put money in their pocket. So yeah. that, my thing is definitely do your research on your trainers. Definitely see kind of what they're about. Um, you know, I, I, I've been around guys who, you know, they focus training on it's all game situations. It's all, you know, we're going one dribble pull up this way, one dribble pull up that way. Cause those are the realistic looks you're going to get in a game. You know, the, the four dribble combos are nice, but I, I I tell my guys there's like three people in the world that have that freedom. Kyrie, you got Kyrie Irving, you got you know there's like three guys in the NBA where yeah they can do that and they get paid thirty million dollars a year to do that. And they said none of you guys are getting paid thirty million dollars a year, so none of you guys are gonna be doing that on my floor. That's funny. Yeah, no, that's that's a good way to put it. I I, I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot actually. I, I might steal that one too <laughs> if I need to. That's that's good. Um, so. When it when it comes back to uh, this idea of, of like making good passes and getting getting the good passes that that you want within your offense, do you have a lot of experience with with those, those entry passes in the post? It doesn't sound like there's too much, at least currently, of post work or or maybe even having those traditional post players where you're going to throw the ball in the post. But it, but maybe you do. And and if you had experience with that before, um on. On the teams I played, my my high school team, you know, I, I pretty much run the same thing as my high school coach did. He he kind of opened my eyes to. I came from my first program. I came from we were running the Princeton and 
mm-hmm. doing all you know doing all that then I, I i transferred schools and he was just like oh we're just running just four out just make sure you stay space four out and let's just push the ball and with that team we kind of had a we had two six a big so it's there's different setups when i got a big i'll have them on the block and, you know if i don't have a big like my program now we we have them in a the high post and when it gets to the half court if we don't get a look in transition what I like to do, I like to start with a high post entry and have my guards come off, and then we start the offense that way. Um, just just because for for me, I've always kind of said bigs, it's not really about bigs getting shots. I think it's just about bigs getting touches. I don't think, you know, they you know they kind of get left out a lot and when it comes to offensive stuff, and, it, you know, and that usually kind of gets them salty a little bit. And mm-hmm. so for me, it's always been a little – we always keep them involved just with touches. So I like to start all my half-court possessions at least with the touch to that with the with the entry to the high post. And, and my quote unquote big that I have right now, he's he's not really a big. I would just say he's just the heaviest dude on our team. So he's, <laughs> he's the just, biggest. <laughs> yeah, you're the you're the default big, you know, but he can you know he can step outside, he can shoot the ball. You know, he's he's he probably like six three, but he's he's like a bigger six three. But I mean for us it, it, it kind of works out because then he gets active kind of with the with the on ball screens. That's what we tell him say, hey just be active every on ball every every time a guy got the ball at the top set an on ball for him you know mm-hmm. you got to be active in that high post area because realistically you're six three I'm not gonna put you on the block against a six nine guy <laughs> and think and think you're gonna do anything of value for us if anything you're doing you're making it worse because you're keeping that big guy next to the rim so I would yeah. I would like to have him all of our bigs on the high post we actually have a big coming up in our program right now who's about six eight so. He 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 kind of just started playing basketball and he's just made like great improvements over the last year. Yeah. So I'm probably gonna have to start implementing some more of that stuff with him because he's like traditional big big man, big body, six eight, just gotta be in the post. So I'm excited for that. Um, but for now, it's just yeah, we roll with our our five guys that are under six three and start with a high post entry and that's how we get him involved. High post entry straight into an on ball and we go from there. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I, and I think that, you know, you have to be flexible. Like we talked about, you know, just because you have your biggest player doesn't mean that they're going to be a back to the basket, you know, more traditional post player. Like in your case, you know, if they're six three, like you said, you don't want to have them down in the low post where the six nine player is also going to be, uh, you know, have, having to defend them because then you have that six nine player right by the rim. So yeah, and he, know, he don't want to be there anyway. He thinks he's a yeah. point guard. My, my big man thinks he's a point guard anyway. So he don't, he don't, he'll, shy away from the block as much as he can. Right. No, yeah, absolutely. So just, just to touch on that thought though, for, for coaches who are, who are listening, who might have a little bit more of those uh, traditional, like, like big, you know, players that are going to be there on the low block. What do you, what do you find is important um, to make sure that that pass, that entry pass into the, into the low block or into the post is done correctly? Uh, For me, I think it starts, it starts with the big, um, it starts with a big giving them a target. You know, I always teach my bigs, hey, that that offhand, whatever you posting on the left block, you know, that left hand got to you got to give your your man a target. Um, and usually that target got to be high. A lot of I think a lot of guards make the mistake you're throwing entry passes, bounce pass, big men. In my opinion, big men don't don't want the bounce passes, entry passes. Big men, you know, they're up, they're hot, they're they're big. Throw it up, throw it up for the big fella. Um, so it, to me, it starts with the target, the big man giving them a target, and the big man jumping to meet the ball. But on on the perimeter for those guards, it's always I, I always teach my guys you're gonna make a post you're gonna make a post entry you gotta have a ball fake before, um, gotta have a ball fake fake a pass make a pass. Um, but I I always like to throw that corner 
that, throw, throw it up away from the defense, let, let your big man meet it, and then use space. Um, that's always been big for me. You know, when we do have a big, if I, if I have a team that does have a big, you know, feed him. If he's working on the block, feed him. Um, but always, it's always about the right angles. You know, we don't, we don't make post-entry passes from the top. You know, we only make post-entry passes from the wing or the baseline, uh, just kind of knowing your angles. Also, it's, it's reading the defender. If the defender is playing him on the baseline side, then you're going to have to find a different angle. You might have to dribble to create that angle for him or your postman might have to, you know, readjust his positioning just to be able to give you a target. Um, but for us, it's always, you know, fake a pass, make a pass, throw it away from the defense, and big man always got to meet the ball. Yeah, uh, I, what you said it kind of made me think of a, a funny story about the the entry pass and you know the high hands and you know getting it up high. And I I was watching I was watching a game, oh, man, it was a boys' game. It was a couple of years ago, and there was a you know a traditional kind of back to the basket players, probably six seven or whatever. And the guard uh, tried to make a bounce pass in the entry, and and I kid you not, that that six seven player almost fell over trying to you know, get get to the ball because like you said, like, some of them just. You know, they don't want they don't want to bounce pass. They don't want they don't want anything that low. Like you know, they yeah. they just want to meet it where, where their hands are. And so, um, just made me think of that. That kind of kind of know no, what they what what your big man needs and where they need to be. And like you said, it's a, about I them had, first. I had a big man in travel ball, and that's when I this was like my first year coaching travel. Ball. I was like twenty, and I, that's who I got it from. And he's and he was he was a big dude came from Africa to come play here, and he he was yelling at the guard, and he's like. I'm over here. I'm up here. I'm this big. Why are you going to throw it in my ankles? And I was like, it stuck to me. I was like, that's true. Why are we going to throw him a bounce pass? Because he's working. He got his hand. That's almost at the rim with his hand up. Why are we going to throw it down for him? You know, throw the, throw the thing up for him. Yeah. Yeah. I think just trust, you know. And, and if you trust your player and you trust your trust your big man to go get it, you know, you get it to, to where they need to and, and, and let them, you know, kind of put that work in. So, yeah, <laughs> it's funny that you have yeah, that exactly. kind of the same story as well. <laughs> and it's something else that you that you touched on that I'm, that I'm glad you did because um, I, it had slipped my mind, but but you brought it up is um, in terms of passing about, about teaching uh, pass fakes and how to sell and how to actually, you know, produce a good pass fake that will actually, you know, get the defense to, to bite on it. So uh, let's kind of talk about that for a little bit. You know, what goes into a good pass fake and, and what, what are some things that you work on to make sure that uh, those pass fakes look good? Uh, well, we, we like to start off, we do our, our warm-up, in our warm-up series, we kind of do, you know, we do a warm-up and we do a jump stop series and we do a shot fake series and we do a ball fake series. So it's kind of, you know, I tell my guys, the same way you sell a shot fake, you got to get that ball above your head. It's the same way you sell a pass fake, you know. And it might even be times where, you know, that guy is calling for the ball. You know, the defense is hearing him say, one more, one more. And you kind of see your defender cheating on, on that swing and you get it, boom, sell it there. And, you know, step in, step into the ball fake, bring it back, and then you can make another pass or make another play. Um, but pass faking, it, it's, it's a very, very important part of kind of half-court offense, I would say. Um, and a lot, you know, a lot of it is kind of, to me as a as a as a point guard, I it's kind of like reading your eyes. You know, the defense reads your eyes. Mm -hmm. So what I what I like to teach my point guards is, you know, may, do give them a little misdirection with your eyes. That's just as good as making a ball. You know, making a ball fake is, if you drive to the lane, I'm looking. I see both guys opening the corner and the guy on top. If I'm looking at the guy on top, but I make that pass to the guy in the corner. That's just as good to me as okay. Let me fake that pass to make that pass. Um, but you know, that's, that comes down to skill level at the end of the day also. Um, but 
Yeah, ball faking for us is, is very important. We don't we don't really, I guess, necessarily have any drills that go over that. We kind of just start off our practice with that basic thing. But we do we do like to sell it. You know, we like to say, especially against our zone, whenever we play our zones, it's always fake a pass, make a pass. Like when we play zone, every single pass, you've got to make a ball fake. Um, just to kind of get that zone jumping, get the zone moving, just to open up what we want to get. And so in in your uh, experience with doing it, what is the maybe the biggest thing? I know you mentioned a couple, but what is the biggest thing that, that you see in, in pass fakes that makes you think, okay, no, nobody's nobody's biting on that? What are What is like that biggest thing that maybe coaches should be aware of for like poor pass fakes? Oh, I mean, when the, when the when the player doesn't even turn their body, it's just kind of, you know, you just you just they just move their arms a little bit that direction, and it's you know you. <laughs> to me, I always think I swear it's like we know you're not passing the ball. Um, so yeah, it's, I would say like stepping in, like I was always stressed, like you know you really got to sell it. If you're catching on a swing and you're gonna sell that shot fake, you know you turn your body, step into it, make that ball fake, and bring it back, bring it back to triple threat. Because um, you do see a lot of just uh, let me just. I'm not even going to turn my body. I'm not even going to look at that guy next to me. I don't even know if he's there, but I'm just going <laughs> to throw my arms there. And there you go. There's my ball fake. Well, in, in what, what you just sort of mentioned about the fact that, you know, how, how much you em- emphasize, you mentioned this a little bit earlier about stepping into, stepping into your passes. And so if I'm a coach and, and, you know, I know that, okay, like they always step into their passes and then they do a, you know, some form of a pass fake and they're not stepping into it, then, well, <laughs> like yeah, that's don't. not you know nobody's buying into that so because yeah, it's exactly. not how you at normally pass and so it seems like what a coach might want to do is is just basically say like you're pretty much doing everything you would pretty much normally do with your pass except you're just not passing it um yeah exactly i maybe maybe players worry that like it's it's too slow maybe if they go through the whole motion so they just want to kind of like do something real quick and then try and you know fake them out that way but you know like you said if they just kind of throwing their arms out like that well it's not really not really selling it too much yeah it's not going to be effective right and then you also mentioned too um it maybe is kind of like a secondary thing as well it's kind of like like the eyes and where like the eyes are going as well uh, i feel like that that that's also something that's that's really important is you know what, what are your eyes and what are they looking at like is it really being sold like you're going to pass that way or um like are your eyes just fixated on one area and then your body or yeah, whatever yeah. just sort of moves some other direction um yeah I, I think when i was growing up my dad when they were coaching us they really used to always stress peripheral vision on us like like i remember clearly like when we were in like kindergarten first grade and i was like i don't <laughs> even know what this word means <laughs> they used to have they used to have to put a, put our fingers in front of our faces and pull them out to the side keep look keep looking at them and like I think that helped me so much I think in every sport that I played in my life was just the peripheral vision and understanding that and you know I understand in the game we're wearing we're wearing black jerseys they're wearing white jerseys and my peripherals I see a, I don't you know I can't make out their face but I see a black jersey here and I see a white jersey there okay I know I know where I can make these passes even though I'm not looking that direction or even though you know I'm not, you know, my my head's not directly turned towards that guy. That peripheral vision opens everything up. So I, I've been stressing to my guys about peripheral vision and using that because some kids don't even like realize what that is and realize what peripheral vision is. And as a point guard and just as a guard in general, I think that opens it up so much for you, for you if you can use your peripheral vision to kind of just make plays. And that, you know, that's that that's big for me. 
Yeah, it might be good for uh, for coaches to to just stop and say, "Do you guys know what your peripheral vision is? Do you guys know what that means? What that term means?" And hopefully, hopefully, we're not su- surprised or shocked by the answers. But if you are, then that's a very good teaching moment that probably will help you and your yeah, team a definitely. little bit if they if they're not quite aware of what that is. So yeah, that that might be a little uh, little good takeaway to have there as well. What is peripheral vision? Because like you said, I mean, we talked about this a couple of times. You know, there's certain things that you know you and I may have just learned at a young age and just assume that kids know these things, but you know, you don't want to assume <laughs> you don't, you don't want to assume that at all. Yeah. No, sometimes no, no. it's just like, you got to break it down, go back to day one. And you know, it, you know, even if they have heard of it, it's not going to hurt for you to bring it up again and refresh their mind, you know? Right. And yeah. And, and make sure that it's, you know, being taught or explained the way that you want it to be explained. Cause maybe they have heard mm-hmm. of it, but their understanding of it might be different than what you want their understanding of it to be. So uh, yeah, there, there, no harm in, in just going over it just to make sure. It's just kind of a good teaching practice in general, right? Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. So the obviously one of the uh, other important parts with, with the pass is, is making sure that the, uh, the catch um, of that pass is clean and is, and is, is as great as it can be. And I know that you do a lot of work, uh, like we talked about, in transition. And so in you know, cases where that player's got to be out there and, and ready to catch the ball in stride, are there any like, real points of emphasis that you have to make sure that you know, your players are, are catching the ball where it needs to be caught and they're, they're ready to get going out in transition? Uh, I stress on my, on my wing guys. You know, run the lanes wide. You know, we we haven't been practicing. You got to be touching the sidelines when you're running lanes, and that was something else that's been instilled in me since I was young. Is you know, you don't you do not run your lanes. The volleyball we used to always say the volleyball poles because they got the little inserts on the basketball court there. It says you do not run your lanes inside there ever, and that's just always been in my mind. It's just, that's what I do. You got to run wide because um, the way I break it down to my guys is that you know in, in transition defense, what are you taught? You're taught to protect the basket. So everyone's going to be running to the basket on defense. So the, the wider you are, you know, the less, the less chance there is that, you know, you're going to have a defender there trying to, t- trying to take that pass from if you're running down the sideline and, you know, they're being taught, let me go protect the basket. So you're, the wider you are to me is, okay, now I can catch the ball and now I'm going to have, you know, maybe five, ten feet to come at you with in transition, and now I can make a play while you're on your heels. You know, you're 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 just struggling to get back to the basket. I'm going full steam ahead, and I got five feet to just go full speed at you and make a move. So I, I just always stress my wings, just run as wide as possible and look for the ball. And I told I, – I had a couple kids when I first started at, at Orange that, you know, I was telling you, run the, run the lanes, run the lanes hard. And they're running the lanes, but they're not looking for the ball. It's just you see the back of their head only, and it's just they're running to get to the spot, and the ball went out of bounds because <laughs> someone passed it to them, and they didn't even know. It just went right, it went right behind them. So it was, it's just running the lanes, looking for the ball, and just looking to make a play in transition. But I think to me, is the wider the better. And and I don't know, I don't know about about with you in, in your experience, but I know for for me that that is, it's been a reoccurring thing that I feel like I, I've taught over the years is, is about getting wide. I, I don't know if that's something that you've experienced uh, yourself, yeah. but I feel like players just they don't. They, they don't really run that wide. It, it always gets narrower and narrower. As, as, like their first instinct is to, you know, be all bunched up and, and not really create that space. And it seems like that might be something that you've you've seen consistently as yeah. well. Yeah, that's something that we definitely have to get on our guys. I mean, and that's really been in every school I've been at. It's just, you know, running <laughs> wide. Just get, getting in their head is just, I do it from day one. 
run wide, run wide, run wide, you know, touch the sideline when, you know, emphasize it in practice and exaggerate it in practice where it's the point where when you're in a game, you you might be running out of bounds in the game while you're running your lane. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely been a thing where it's like, man, these kids don't learn when they're growing No one tells, tells these kids to run the lanes wide when they're growing up. <laughs> um, but, I mean, t- to me, it always comes back down to spacing, and especially within our yep. offense, everything we do is down to spacing. So I always tell my guys, hey, you know, the, the defense is running to protect the basket. You know, let's let's run wide. So now when you catch and you catch that ball in transition, now you have plenty of room to work with before you even meet the defense. And now you can just go full steam ahead, make your move, and try and get a basket or create for someone else rather than, okay, right when you, if you're running the lane narrow, you catch the ball. Now you're catching the ball to the defender two feet away from you. You can't even put the ball on the floor. Nope. Um, and that, that same thing in, in the half court. I always tell my guys, when you're off the ball – you're spacing, you need to make your defender make a choice. You know, he's either got to go choose to help, and then if he chooses to help, now you can move, slide up, slide down, whichever way it may be, and now you've got yourself a shot. And now, if, but if you're spaced well enough where he doesn't know if he should go help and your teammate gets a layup from it, I, to me, I tell them that's an assist for you. You know, you, you got your teammate a basket based off your spacing because now your defender had to make a choice. and He made the choice to stay with you, and now that created a lane for your teammate. So it, it all comes back down to spacing with us. It's always about that's that's the biggest thing we stress is spacing, and that's transition in the half court, everything. Yeah, and and I think that when when players see that, when they see like, hey, look at how wide you got, and look at the lane that you created for somebody else to score. Like we wouldn't have scored that without you having gotten wide. And, and yeah. I think that, that that might be something where that's kind of where it kind of clicks maybe for players. Like, this is why you're running wide and this is why this this needs to happen. Like, you do this, then potentially this can end up happening. And, and then hopefully it sounds like in your case, the players kind of see that and it's like, oh, okay. And now they'll always be running wide, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, something, that's like something you don't even think of as a, I think as a player growing up. And I, I think – until I transferred high schools and went into that new <laughs> offense, it was kind of like I didn't think about that either. And then it started thinking, okay, well, we're so spaced out. My guy's so worried about me. My teammate just got a layup because he can't help. I was like, to me, I was like, that feels good. And as a pass-first point guard, we kind of get joy. And I'd much rather throw a nice pass for someone. That, that gives me more joy than me going out and just breaking someone down and getting a basket. So I think it kind of it, it comes down to loving those little things, you know, that's – setting a good screen, you know, it's, it's, it's things like that. And that, that's what I try and kind of sell them on is, you know, it's, you might not think it's anything. And to someone that's watching the game, they might not think you did anything, but you know that that basket was only scored because I'm in this position or this, this guy only got the shot because I'm here and I space this way. Like you, you guys as a team can know those things. The casual fan might not see when they're just watching the game. And mm-hmm. to me, I was like, that's the, those are the things that you have to like kind of pride yourself on. I said, that's, that's how I got my looks. And that's what I tell them. I say, hey, I was a Division One, you know, basketball player. I got, I, re- I got recruited really early, and I think my highest point per game total ever I had in the season in high school was 13 points a game. And, and <laughs> it's like – but they saw me, and they saw I could do all the little things. I'm setting good screens. You know, I can – I know how to space the floor. I know what reads to make. It's, you know, and I tell them, if you want to play at the next level, those little things are going to matter. That's going to be kind of what the most important thing. Because there's really only a couple guys – in the country who they're really bringing in to be like, okay, give us 30 points a game. That's not a realistic situation for most people going in to play college basketball or go, mm-hmm. even going to play high school basketball. So kind of make, you know, get your minutes by doing those little things and taking pride in it. And, and I think that that's like 
one of the biggest things I try and tell my guys is that, hey, you know, you can do all these little things. You, you'll never get off the floor. Yeah, no, they'll, they'll, they'll never want you off the floor if you're able to, you know, successfully, you know, do all those little things and, and, and you know, be able to be a, a selfless player and, and, you know, work for the better of everybody else. I think that there, there'll always be space and always be an opportunity for players uh, with that sort of skill set or that sort of mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the final, final thing that I wanted to just touch on really quickly before we hit our uh, concluding segment is with a lot of the work um, in terms of uh, the transition work of, you know, pushing the ball up ahead, um, how much, if any, <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming there's a little bit, but how much um, bounce passing is, exists within your offense? Because it sounds like a lot of it is just pushing up the floor, and I'm not exactly sure how much, you know, in terms of like the bounce pass that you guys are implementing. So I'm just curious about where the bounce pass kind of fits in, whether it's within like transition, whether it's in your your four-out offense. Well, what does that sort of look like? Uh, I would, it would, it's mostly after like an initial drive. I would, I would say either for a dump off or our big, if, you know, if we get, if we get in the lane um, or if we front, we like to kind of do a little transition series where we go through kind of every scenario in our transition. So there's a lot of times we front to the wing, he drives baseline, he might make a, ba a bounce pass down the baseline to our mm -hmm. other guy sliding to the opposite corner, things like that. We it, it doesn't really I, it doesn't really happen game scenarios. I, I would say most of the time it's for the dump off for the big. Yeah, because you know we draw the big up and we kind of do the bounce pass there. Um, but we do I do like to to go through that with them in practice every day is that when we do our transition series, you know, that baseline drive, make that bounce pass, you know, um, across the baseline to the other side. But for the most part, that's really, we don't really have much bounce passing. Obviously there's going to be with our, with our high post entry. Um, we have to, we like to start that with the bounce pass just to kind of get them away from the defense and get them at the top of the key. Um, but for the most part, it's a lot of chest passing. It's a lot of, it's a lot of full court. We we like to I like to give my guards a one dribble rule. You got one after you catch outlet pass, you got one dribble to get off the ball. So you got one dribble, then you got a front. Um, yeah. If there's more than one dribble, so uh, for the most part, it's it's quick one one pass up, and then it's I get an attack from there, and it's either going to be a kick for a shot there or whatever the case may be. Right, and and so then it would seem like in at least in your practice like situations that you know that there, there's no point necessarily in in equally uh, distributing the the types of passes that you're doing because if you're not doing as many bounce passes then you know it's not something that you really need to see emphasized or see like implemented a lot in your in your practice situations. Yeah, I mean we like we like to do it just to, I mean especially with with the group we have now it's such a young group we like to do mm -hmm. it just to kind of have them going with everything and kind of just it's happening in mind. A lot of these a lot of these kids, you know, haven't been taught like the the basic fundamentals that uh, that I have. So I'm just you know, I wanna I like to cover all the bases with them just so they know mm -hmm. and if they ever end up playing for someone else or playing it's not a foreign thing to them. Yeah. No that no that it makes a lot of sense. You want to make sure that they have the skill set available there, but you know, making sure that they're choosing the right pass and, and making the right pass, you know, when that opportunity arises and, and knowing which pass is the correct one to make in that particular situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. All right. So uh to wrap up, coach, what I would like to do is a couple questions that I ask uh every guest. First question, uh in your coaching career, is there a coaching moment that you have had that you think others listening would be able to learn from? Uh, an in-game moment or an out-of-game moment, would you say? 
whatever came to mind first when I yeah. asked that question would be the right answer because that was the uh, one that came would, to mind. I would probably say that this would like this job I just took. Um, you know, it's not it's not a desirable. You know, it's not really a desirable place. It's actually funny. I didn't even interview for the job. They mm. reached out to. I mean, I interviewed, but they reached out to me. I didn't, you know, I was cool where I was at. Um, they reached out to me, and I was kind of, that was already to me. It was like, that's a red flag. <laughs> why, why are you calling me? You know, I was like, why are you why are you calling me three weeks before the season starts about a coaching job? Um, you know, I know there's other ways you go about that. You put out, you know, you put it out there, you do a job search. Um, and I think I was, I had so many, like, nerves about it. It's like, man, they've never been great. They've never been great. You know, they're traditionally not, not that great of a basketball school. Um, they're calling me to come coach there, which can't be to me in my mind was like, this can't be good. I must be, I'm going to be walking into an absolute, you know, <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's going to be crazy what I'm walking into. Um, and I said, you know, I'm and I said, you know, I'm just going to go for it. Cause to me, it's my, you know, it's my first varsity coaching job. You know, I, I learned under a lot of great coaches and been you know, and I was like, you know, what? maybe it's his time, you know, this is, Someone telling me something somewhere, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be at. Because, um, you know, the way I got here is not really ideal. So, to me, I, I would say, you know, just just follow your gut. Don't be scared to take that jump, you know, because there was a lot of nerves involved, especially, you know, I got to take over a program and we have a game in three weeks. I never even met these kids. I gotta, we, gotta, we got a game in three weeks. Uh, you know, you guys are, you guys are calling me. I, I don't even know where the school is at. I've never even seen the school before. You know, the only thing I know about it is that they've always been bad. So I think for me, it's kind of like, you know, take pride in those things and take pride in, you know, and, you know, let me build, let me build this thing up um, from the ground up and let me kind of see where all my philosophies and when it comes to running a program and when it comes to, you know, starting, you know, having your basketball philosophies and everything and kind of see how you can, you know, do it yourself. I know I think a lot of people are kind of scared to take that jump. You know, I was for, for years. I was like, you know, I'm cool being an assistant coach. I don't, I don't you know, I don't think I want to – this is nice. I don't have to worry about the parents. I don't got to worry about the, the fundraising. I don't got to yeah. worry about that. I just could be cool, do my basketball stuff, and then that's that. And, you know, then as, you know, as I interviewed and they kind of started talking to me, I said, you know, I think let me just go for it, you know. What's the worst that can happen? It doesn't yeah. work out. I'm back to being an assistant, and now it's like I've fallen in love with it. Like, oh, <laughs> even even with, like, the craziness of it and how it is now, you know, I got I got this job three weeks. We had a game. Season ended. COVID happened. Now I'm like, man, this is this is about to, you know, this has just been like a crazy ride. And to for me, sure. I'm like, I, I've loved every step of it. And it's been, you know, very, very rewarding kind of seeing and out and I was lucky enough to inherit a program that you know I had no seniors in my program last year so I'm lucky enough to I I'm gonna have these guys for you know years mm -hmm. and just being I'm gonna be able to see that growth from when they first started with me to now and I've you know I've already seen it and I think to me seeing that growth in them kind of individually as players and as people already like that already has made the job worth it enough for me yeah um, so, like that like for me that, like, that's enough I was like we don't have to you know, we don't have to win any more games. Like, just seeing this growth in them, like, from the first day I saw them, the, the things that they could not do. And, like, I just remembered I brought my assistant coach on. I remember our first day, we were just – it was. It, this is a funny story, actually. We we had a fall league game. This was, like, our their last fall league game. Yeah. 
you know, fall league games, they don't count. They're just kind of like scrimmages. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go, we play, and we just tell them, okay, we're going to play. We're just going to sit here. We're not going to say much. We just kind of want to see you guys play. Uh, they, so the, our, we win the game by one point, and I'll never forget the whole entire team took out their cell phones and took a picture of the scoreboard. And I said, what, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. Coach, it's the first game we won in three years. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, we looked at each other like, there's no way. I was like, oh, wow. Because we came, we, you know, we've come from schools that we we're just traditionally winning. And then I was like, we looked at each other like, oh, this is going to be a long ride. Yeah. You know, this is good. This game don't even count. We got the whole team going crazy. But, you know, what I've learned kind of through that is like, you know, you got to celebrate those wins with them because they're not used to it. You know, they're not used to winning anything. So mm-hmm. when, at first I was kind of like, you guys are crazy. Do they, do they know this game doesn't count? <laughs> um, to then I was kind of like, I thought about it, like, you know, that's, you know, that's good for them. And I congratulated on them. And it, it's kind of just been learning to, to celebrate those little wins that I thought were just, that don't matter. We're supposed to win that game. You know what? For These sure. guys aren't, aren't supposed to win those games. So it's you know I'm on I'm on the other side of it now where we're gonna celebrate all those little wins and we're gonna celebrate kind of those little achievements that we get mm-hmm. and that's gonna build their confidence more to have them achieve even more. Um, so I think for for me that's been like the biggest joy in it and you know to me that's made it all worth it. So I, I what I would say to other coaches is if you're an assistant and you know apply for every head coaching job you can, you know try try and put your name out there. I, you know I've interviewed for coaching jobs when I was. I think when I was 22, I interviewed for one, and I was just, you know, fresh into it. And I was like, hey, why not? I might as well. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't get in. And I was just kind of like, oh, I can't really be that mad about it. But I think that did kind of, in the back of my head, I was like, oh, I don't want to go through that again and have to, you know, be denied again. And I think that kind of put me off it for a couple of years. And I'm 27 now. Um, and just, like, having my program and kind of, you know, I'm, I'm – I'm a younger head coach when it comes, at least in this area, I'm a, I'm a younger head coach. So it's kind of like, I can't really go about my stuff the same way that most coaches would, you know, like my high school coach was like a father figure type. I'm not going to be a father figure type to these kids. You know, they probably have siblings that are my age. So it's like, (laughs) I'm not going to be here. You know, I I have to go about things differently as, as I get older and, you know, as I learn more and get more knowledgeable, then yeah, I'll I'll start going about things in kind of a different way. Um, But for me, it's just, it's been such a joy and, you know, I, I encourage all coaches, you know, no matter how young you are, you know, even if, no matter how old you are, you've been an assistant for 27 years, man, go for it. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it's like a, it's a different kind of joy to me. I've had a whole different kind of satisfaction. You know, I've, I've coached AU, I've got kids scholarships, you know, and th- none of those things have really ever like amounted to like the joy I've been getting just from seeing my program and seeing the guys in my program develop. No, that's no, that that's great, and I think that like like you said, you know, you just kind of jump on those opportunities. You never know when they're going to come, and you know, I, I think that there's something great that can be had at you know at almost any experience that you're at. Well, you know, you just got to kind of jump into it and just see what happens, <laughs> and 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 you know, you might be surprised uh, at at how much you know a situation that you like didn't really know about. All of a sudden, you get there, and you know, you fall in love with it. But you have to you know take that yeah. chance first. Right. Yep. And and another thing I would say to young coaches is be a sponge. That's what, you know, someone told me that at a very young age. And, you know, I take that to heart. Be a sponge. Absorb everything that you kind of – every coach around you kind of brings to the table. And then, you know, as as time goes on, you kind of squeeze out the stuff that, you know, I'm not going to use this, but I'm going to (laughs) take this from here and this from here. Uh, Because at the end of the day, you know, you got guys like 
Calipari of Kentucky, you got Roy Williams. These guys are still talking about stuff they're learning now. And look, you know, look at their careers and look how much they've accomplished. And, they, you, you know, they have them on record now to this day talking about, well, I just learned this and we're going to put this. This is the first time I've done this. I'm learning yeah. this. And if those guys are still learning, then, yeah. you know, you <laughs> better get to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So especially in coaching, you know, every group you're going to have is going to be different. So every year is going to be different with the way you approach things, the way you have to teach things. Um, so to me, I, you know, I think I've encountered a lot of people who are kind of like my way or the highway type people. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, I'd, I'd, I don't believe in that. I believe, you know, you, you let the players kind of drive you into which direction that you're going to have to take them. But, um, you know, you, it's not one size fits all when it comes to anything with kids. Right. Um, it's always going to be different. And you, you kind of always have to be able to, to make that adjustment if you want to do it the right way, you know, because at the end of the day, I think I've, I found that uh, I, I look back and I kind of see that a lot of coaches try and make it about them. You know, it's mm-hmm. my system, my philosophy. I did this, I did that. And I think, it, sh- it should be the opposite way. It should be like, this is all the kids, you know, that we do it for the kids. We're trying to put them in a position to succeed. Yeah. You know, that's what it's about. It's not about, oh, my plays work. Your plays don't work. We're going to run this because it's mine and it works. <laughs> you know, I said, this is the way I've always done it. You know, I, it's to me, that's like my biggest pet peeve, I would say, in coaching is that I just see so many people where it's like they're so stuck on them doing it their way. And yeah. You know, and I, I encourage everyone, like, man, let, let the kids drive you to where you're going to go. You know, let, let them determine kind of which route that you have to take to, to push them, to motivate them, kind of like to coach them. And, you know, just to make them better players and better people is like it's, it's you're going to have to approach it differently. If you're if you do anything, you know, I, I work for social services, so I work with kids outside of coaching as well. So it's like I'm, that's all I'm doing is adjusting to new ways to, to, to talk to kids and to help them out. So it's. I'm really, really big on advocating for that is like, you know, don't make it about you. When you're the coach, it's not about you. It's about the players. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's a great thought to, to kind of, to kind of leave it at that, you know, just take, take the ego out, like you said, and, and, and do it for the right reasons, which is for the kids and the betterment of them. And, and, you know, celebrating all of the successes that they have. And if you do that, I think you're going to get a lot more longevity out of the profession too. If you're, yeah, if you kind of have sure. that approach, I think, yeah, I think that that is a, that's a great thought uh, to, to, to leave off on and, and hopefully um, one that I'll personally I'll always try and remember some days are a little harder than others, but it's an everyday, it's an everyday choice you got to make. That's what I always say every day. You know, cause there's going to be some days where you're like, man, these kids don't know what they doing. We doing this, but I, you know, it's 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 an everyday choice. Yep, certainly. It's definitely a process and a great one at that. Well, well, coach, mm-hmm. I want to thank you for for spending some time to talk about, uh, you know, just just your offense about passing, and then you know so much more here that we talked about in the last bit as well. So this is a great conversation. I, I wish you luck. I hope that you get to you know finally start doing some real basketball soon, get some <laughs> games to play, and and, and get that yeah, season too. under your belt. So, uh, Coach Castaneda, thank you so much for spending some time talking to us. Good luck going forward. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate you having me. Always. Thank you. And thank you guys uh, so much for listening. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. We will see you guys. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.